I thought it was going to be an easy thing going through these parables this summer, but they are, each one is a beast. I mean, every one of these short little stories are packed. You know, at the end of Matthew 5, 6, and 7, the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus' most famous teaching, probably the most famous sermon and, and body of teaching in all the world, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, at the very end of it, there's a little parable that caps it off. And he says, you know, the, the one who follows these teachings is, is one who's like builds his house on a rock. That's a little parable. Jesus is, is inserting these little stories here and there. In Matthew 13, you see a, a whole number of them that are centered on the kingdom of God. And these stories are very particular and purposeful. They're called mashal. It's an Old Testament term, a Hebrew term, for a teaching that is freighted or loaded with meaning. And every one of Jesus' parables, every one of these little teaching, these little stories, these little word pictures that he paints, relate back to some Old Testament passage. Today, as we look in Luke 18, what you'll see is that the, the teaching, the story, the picture that he paints of the Pharisee and the tax collector, this picture paints a picture of teaching from Isaiah 66. And so Jesus is taking Old Testament scriptures and he's putting them into story form. You see? And the amazing thing about it is, is that sometimes if, if I come at you and I say, let me tell you some things that you should know, you know, a lot of times what we'll do is we'll say, all right, hang on, bank up, buddy. Right? That's what, that's what we often do, right? When someone tells, isn't that how you are? That's how I am. And when someone says, I think you need to know something, I think, well, really? Okay. And I start backing up. What Jesus does is he says, let me tell you a story. And what do we do when we we're told it, when someone says, let me tell you a story? What do we do? We say, we lean in, don't we? We lean in. Like when you're a child, hey, dad, mom, read me a story. Tell me a story. And what Jesus does is he takes something that we really need, but we don't want, Right? He's, he's trying to get something that we need, but we don't want. And what he does is he kind of sneaks around the back of your house, and he knocks on the door, and with a story, he kind of slips inside the human heart. And you didn't even know it was coming. So in his Isaiah 66, it says, boom, 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 comes right at you because he's a prophet. And he's saying, look, Israel, you've gone wrong. I'm going to set you straight. Jesus says, I'm going to set you straight, but I know that you don't want this, and so let me tell you what you need. And the, all these parables are, are that way. They're all about trying to help us see how we're, we're framing life up wrong, or we're headed in a direction that isn't good for us. And Jesus is saying, I know you want that, but you really need this. And so let's take a look at this contrasting picture that begins to prick us at the place of our pride, pride, our greatest problem. Luke chapter 18, starting with verse 9. This is one of the few parables where the, 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 the gospel writer, in this case, Dr. Luke, comments 
upon the meaning of the parable. It says this. He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. That's what the parable is all about. Jesus says, Two men went up into the temple to pray. Now, a lot of people think that this parable, a lot of teaching about this parable is that it's on two contrasting ways to pray. It's not about prayer. It's about pride. It's about making life work for you apart from God. One was a Pharisee. So here, too, contrasting picture. One is a Pharisee, and the other, a tax collector, one of the most loathed, loathsome people of their day and our day. The, the Pharisee... <laughs> sorry, Bobby. The Fer- no, he's not tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus. God, I thank you that I... I just have to pause there, pause there because it's so crazy. I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. Doesn't say that, does it? I looked it up. The sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house. This man, the tax collector. This man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. May God bless us today through the reading and the reflection upon this, his holy word. Let's pray. Father in heaven, bless this word, not just so that we'll understand it, but so that it gets in, works its way through, and makes its way out. In Jesus' name, amen. So there was a guy who was really proud of the fact that he had become a vice president. His company had promoted him, and he was going around, and he was telling everybody, and his his wife got kind of annoyed with this. He was sort of prancing around like a peacock, and, and she said, Listen, being a vice president, I'm really, we're, we're really happy for you, honey, but it, it really isn't that big a deal. And he said, what do you mean? She said, well, you, did you know that, I mean, even down at the supermarket, there's a vice president of the produce department. He said, no. So he called up and he said, I need to speak to the vice president of the vegetables. And the voice over the line said, fresh or frozen? Isn't it true that, that our accomplishments, we, we want to be seen as humble people, but we want to be known for our accomplishments. We have a problem with pride. How do we get down from that high horse? How do we get down from the high horse of pride? How do we do that? 
Well, let's, let's find out why we're up there in the first place. If we're going to understand how you get down from the high horse of pride, you have to know, why, why did you get up there in the first place? What put you up in the saddle? Why do we spend so much time on our high horse of pride? Well, the reason is, is that every one of us needs to be righteous. Now, as soon as I say that, it sounds like a religious word, doesn't it? Righteous? But, but think of it this way. We need, every one of us has to be, let's just say, every one of us feels deeply the need to be okay. To feel like we're okay. We're heading in the right direction. We're doing the right things. Everything is okay. We're okay with us. As I've said before, it's why we answer the question, how are you doing? Fine, right? I mean, we're okay. We're fine. Everybody needs to be fine. In certain cultures, like glory cultures, uh, war, cultures of war, where, where day-to-day they're in these daily skirmishes, there's this need for glory, a need to, to appear as somebody who has a certain set of attributes that makes them okay. It's a need for glory. In, in, other, in other cultures, it is a, a, a face-saving thing that, that there, is, there is a need to be free of shame. In our culture, that's much more of a therapeutic culture, we, we need a sense of, of self-esteem. We need to feel like we are approved. Approved. And if we can't feel that way, which day to day, if we're really honest, we don't feel approved day to day. So what do we do instead? Well, if we can't get better, and if we're not feeling like we are better, then we'll go to the next best thing in our minds, and that is to be better than. Did you catch that? If we can't get better, then I'm at least going to be better than. Better than who? Better than that guy. Better than you. You know, you're on the highway. You don't feel like you're getting anywhere unless you're passing somebody, right? You know who you are. You know, sometimes you think, if I can just get up to, to 65, and it's 65, and these people are going 60, and, and if I can just get up to 65, then, you know, I know I'm in a, I'm in a hurry, I need to get there, and, and, then, and then all of a sudden they start speeding up, and they're going 65, but that's not good enough, is it? <laughs> you got it in your mind that you were going to get in the passing lane, you were going to pass this guy, it's time to pass him. Because there's this feeling, and that's how we, we walk around day to day, moment to moment. If we can't get better, we're at least going to be better than. You know it's true. You know it's true. It's like the salesman who, uh, who, who uh, was able to sell his product just because he went around door to door and he said, can I show you a product that your neighbors say, said you cannot afford? <laughs> oh, yeah, sure. I'd like to see that. I'll show them. Pride. Why do we get up on that high horse of pride? Because we want to stand approved. And we don't feel approved moment to moment. We don't feel like we're better, and so we're just going to be better than. But, but here's the subtle twist here in in, in this story is that the Pharisee who we often beat up on, now be careful when you say, oh, at least I'm not like one of those Pharisees. Be careful about that. At least I'm not like one of those Pharisees. That's exactly what the Pharisee does. But here's the subtle twist, is that 
The Pharisee isn't just working for his righteousness. It's not that he's behaving. It's that he belongs and other people don't. He's a belonger. Do you see that? See, what the Pharisees, what, what they did was they took the law, and th- there were certain things like fasting. He mentions fasting in, in, in this parable, right? And, and he mentions how he fasts twice a week. Now, in that time, there were three festivals where fasting was called for, and you had to, to fast two days before the fa- festival and two days after the festival. And so, and so there were 12 times that you would fast. So, so basically, one, one day per month is, is what it works out to. But he's fasting, not just twice before each festival. He's fasting twice a week. And that's what the Pharisees did. They made these extra, this extra layer on top of the law so that they can be what? Better. And be belongers. Now, I belong. You don't, Right? What does he do? In verse 11, he says this. He says, God, I thank you that I, remember I paused there, I thank you that I, <laughs> don't pray this way, okay? I know this isn't about prayer, but just a little tidbit, this is not, this is not a good way to start the prayer. Lord, I thank you that I, and then what does he do? He compares himself. I thank you that I am not like these others. He stands far off. Now, there, there's parallel. In, in many of these parables, there are these parallels. And so you see where the Pharisee is standing and where the tax collector is standing and what the, 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 the Pharisee is saying. I'm going to get to the tax collector in just a minute. And you're going to see the contrast. Where he's standing is he's standing far off. Why? Because he's better than. He's standing and he's praying out loud. Why? So that he can be heard, so that others can hear how he prays twice a week and that he tithes everything. Now, you had to tithe your grain. You had to tithe your wine. But you didn't have to tithe everything. Well, they added another layer, and he's praying out loud so he can be heard and everybody can see, this is what I do. I'm head and shoulders over you, and I'm praying. And when I'm going to confess something, then I'm just going to have to confess that I got it. And you don't. I belong. And you don't. He's standing up there to be seen. He's praying about himself and how he's better than. Now, where do we see this today? Where do we see this self-righteousness where we're comparing I'm comparing myself and I'm putting you above, I'm putting myself above you or everyone else. Where do we see this? Is it just people, religious people? Is it people in, in the temple? Is it, is it people who are believers? Well, a, a lot of the, 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 the major news media would make you believe that we're the self-righteous ones, right? Isn't that true? Come on. You know it's true. That's, that's what you hear over and over. Where are these self-righteous people? I'll tell you where they are today. There are a lot of self-righteous people. And Jesus calls them out, and so I'm calling them out today. The self-righteous people of our day are people with a cause. Have you noticed that? They have a cause, and they belong to the group 
of that cause. And you don't, unless you do. And if you don't, shame on you. Uh, you know, th- think of it this way. I- I'm not going to call out a particular cause uh, that's going to make everybody feel uncomfortable, but you can apply it in a, a-, a couple of dozen different scenarios. L- let me choose one that I think isn't going to make people too- feel too uncomfortable so that you can-, you can get the point and understand the point and internalize the point and understand what I'm saying because it's crucial. Imagine that, uh, that there was somebody with a cause of giving money to Haiti. Now, we're going to Haiti, and we're, we've got a great relationship with a church there, and we're doing amazing things because we, are, we have a relationship with a church, and, and we are helping to empower indigenous leaders there, people who are, who are native to the culture. And we're trying to, we're trying to get a foothold so that there can be uh, some sense of development and some sense of empowerment and leadership there. You know how many billions of dollars have been poured into that broken country and that broken system and that corrupt government? Yeah, billions. And you know what? A lot of times it's because, it's because people who are manipulating you want you to give money to them because something terrible has happened. Now, when something terrible happens, we need to give money. We need to give it to trustworthy people who can then administer it in a way that's not going to be poured into the cracks in the system, and that's what's happened. Now imagine there's somebody who says, you know what, you need to give more money to Haiti, you just need to give it, we're gonna write a check to the government and that's it. And you say, wait a minute, isn't that government, haven't we been pouring, pouring, pouring money into that country and, and nothing's been happening, it's been getting worse and worse and worse and worse? And they say, don't you have any compassion? What's the matter with you? See, that's their cause. And I belong. Because I'm giving money to this cause. And if you're not going to give money to it, then you just must be one of those people. So I'm going to stand up here and I'm going to talk to the people who belong to the cause. You you can name almost any cause today and you can see this is exactly what's happening. And people have a sense of being okay, being approved, being validated Because they're better than. Why? Because they're cause. And a lot of times what they're doing is they're using the people they're saying they're trying to help. Ah, it drives me crazy. They're not actually helping those people. And they don't even know the first rule of thumb about how to help somebody who's really hurting, who's in a cycle that's not good for them. And they just want to feel better. They just want to feel better than. And so they adopt this class of victims so that they can have a cause. Almost anything can be a cause like that. Even adoption. You mad, can you imagine that adoption can be a cause where somebody would feel, like somebody got really mad at me because one time, many years ago and far away, that's code, right? You know that. You'll never figure this out. Uh, this, was, this was many years ago and far away because I didn't see adoption as being the keystone cause of all our... Hum- of all, and I was bringing attention to it. I think adoption is a wonderful thing. More people need to adopt. More people need to sacrificially deal with it. And, 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 and I was bringing a lot of people together and there was somebody who was very passionate about it. Passionate about it. And I loved that. 
And I had brought this person in and I had brought several other people who, 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 to form this coalition of people who, who wanted to be about this, this cause. But this person was so self-righteous about this issue that she alienated herself from everybody else. You see, she wanted to be a belonger. And our causes today are the place where we put a foothold, we get a foothold, and we step up above everybody else. And if you don't see it my way, there's a guy named Jonathan Haidt who, H-A-I-G-H-T, Jonathan Haidt, who, who talks about the moral foundations theory. And, and some people, and, and I see it this way, if, if you think of fairness and you think of something like justice, those two different values that we might have, and you put fairness over justice, you're going to have a certain view of, of a particular issue. Maybe you're going to look at Haiti and you're going to say, we just need to give more money, more money, more money, more money. But if you think of, of something like justice, and you think justice is more important than fairness, then you might think, you know what, we need higher accountability, higher accountability, higher accountability. And there's the disagreement. And we never talk about the values and the order that we have them in. We talk about the fact that we disagree. And we get angrier and angrier at each other instead of trying to figure out that this person values one thing ahead of you and I value this other thing. And then what we end up becoming is self-righteous, better than. We form our little belonging clubs. And that's exactly what's happening in this parable. So how do we deal with this? How do we keep ourselves from getting up on this high horse? How do we get ourselves down from that high horse? Well, it's, it's not to belong. It's to believe. And what do I mean by that? It, it's not to make myself my own authority. See, the belongers, they have made life work for them apart from God. That's what these parables are all about. Jesus is exposing, he's getting in the back door of where... You want something. You want to be God. You want to be in control. And the way the Pharisee has done it in this story is he's a belonger and he's got control over his righteousness, his standing in the community. The believer is the tax collector who's given up on making life work for him, self, apart from God. And he puts himself under authority. Now see the contrast. Verse 13. The tax collector, he stands far off. Why does he stand far off? The, the Pharisee stood far off. See, everybody's there and they're praying and there's a group of people who are praying up in the temple and they're all together in a group. The Pharisee is standing far off and he's praying so everybody can hear him. The, the, the sinner, the sinner, it uses, the, it uses a little um, pronoun, tau, and it means the well, he's not, why does he say the sinner? Why does he say the sinner? Why does he stand far off? Why does he look down? He's not looking down on. He's looking down. He's looking down on himself. He's saying, I don't know about the rest of these folks, but I know about me. I have a need. Right? It's like that old children's song, it's me, it's me, it's me, oh Lord, standing in the need of the prayer, Right? Not my neighbor, not the teacher, not the deacon, Lord, standing in the need. I mean, I don't, yeah, my kids used to listen to it. It drove me crazy, but there's some truth there. It's not the fact that, 
that he's comparing himself. It's like when Paul says that I'm the chief of sinners, that's what, that's what this tax collector is saying. Be merciful to me. He's standing far off. He's looking down. See, when you're, when you're looking down on others, as the Pharisee did, you can't really see yourself. Now, we know what this is like, right? I know what this is like. I mean, I know what it's like to be the sinner. I know what it's like to be the guy who has the need. I mean, I think, I've been walking with God this long, and I said that, that came out of my mouth. And I don't know what, you, what, what, what your reaction is when you recognize that it's you, right? It's you. But my reaction is, I just usually go, ugh. That's my reaction. Ugh. <laughs> And sometimes people in my household hear me. <laughs> What's the matter? Did, you, did something fall on your toe or did you, you know, break your back? You know, <laughs> no, I just realized something I said. And I realize again, no matter how much better than there is out for me to grasp, no matter how many causes, I still have this need. You know, I, I love it when, when my dog knows that she's done something wrong. She knows it's her, right? Like there's been a, we've been out of the house and there's been a thunderstorm and somehow she's nosed her way in. She does a strange thing. She gets into the different bedrooms and she, she it's like a cyclone has been in the, the, the sheets and, the, the, and the, the bedding there. It's just like twisted all up. She's gone crazy. She's just, I don't know, she's like just doing whirls on the, and she tears up everybody. And then I come home and I say, Georgia. What does she do? She looks down. Georgia. She comes creeping up. Dogs know what it takes to detox the relationship. It's just like, yeah, it, it was me. It was me. Dogs, lo- my dog especially, loves people. She's, she has to be in, she has to be approved. She has to be okay she has to be fine. And so what does she do? She does what this tax collector does. He just comes back and says, yeah, it's me. You see, what it means to be under authority, instead of to be a belonger and better than everybody else, what it means to be under someone else's authority and to know that you have a need, to, to, to live there moment to moment, isn't to feel as worse about yourself. It's to understand that there's a truth here and and it's been said a bunch of different ways and attributed to a lot of famous people, but I'm going to tweak a little bit and then I'm going to call it mine. And, and here's what it is. Your situation, my situation, is worse than you thought. It's far worse than you thought. But it's better. It's better than you could hope. It's worse than you think but it's better than you can hope. That's what it means to live under somebody's authority, and that's what Jesus is trying to get to with his story, is to say, live there. Live in a place where it's worse than you thought, but it's better than you hoped. 
You see, that's what it takes to detox your relationships, to get the pride out of them, to get the wedges and, and to get the, the, the barbs out of the relationship, to get the comparisons and the competition out of your relationships. You know, we, we compete when we're growing up. And, and it's good because it, it kind of helps us to, to strive for our best. But you got to get to a place in life where you kind of get over yourself and you stop competing. There's so many people, and you can tell, and sometimes it's me who has to compete. And sometimes it's you. So let's apply this. The last couple minutes that we have here, let's apply this to your life today, okay? What does it look like to live in that place where it's, it's worse than you thought, but it's better than you could hope? It's worse than you thought, but it's better than you might hope. How do you live there? How do you live under authority where it's worse than you thought, but better? Let, let, let's look at, at just a couple of different ways. Now, um, the first thing is, is that when you live there under authority where it's worse than you thought, but better than you could hope, then, then, then what happens is you begin to bring the toxins out of your relationships. You have the freedom to empathize with people. So here, quick example. So I was... I was in a store uh, some time ago, and, and this, this, this store clerk was helping me with something. It looked like it was going to take a long time, and another customer came up and just said, is this going to take a long time? Because I don't have all the time. I, 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 and he was basically saying, I'm an important person, and you're taking too long, and I need your help, right? You, you've been there. You've seen that. And he walks away, and this store clerk, who was so unhappy in general, so unhappy, and she'd been grumbling the whole time, and she says, she just starts shaking her head and mumbling to herself about that guy, right? You ever had this happen? She starts mumbling about this guy. And she starts telling me about how awful people are. And I said, I know, they're so, sometimes people are impatient. And you know what? Sometimes I'm impatient too. I said that to her. And she, you could see her whole countenance change. I didn't say to her, I, from Isaiah 66, I didn't say, hey, look, look, you, you ought not look down on that guy because you're impatient too sometimes. So I just said, you know, sometimes I'm the one. I'm the one who's impatient. You know what? She just relaxed her whole body posture. She said, yeah, yeah, me too. I am too. Sometimes I'm impatient. She just starts gushing about her impatience. Isn't that amazing how we just need that permission? And when you live there, when this is the point, y'all. This is why you got up this morning, put on your shoes and socks. The point is, is that when you live in the place where it's worse than you thought, but better than you hoped, guess what? You can identify with people who are suffering. Suffering with themselves. Miserable. And they think there's no hope. And you can empathize with them. The second is you can have the freedom to know and to be known. A lot of times you're lonely and you're isolated. Why? Because, because you're proud. That's why nobody knows you. You're proud. There's a wedge between you and the people who love you the best. You're proud. You're better than. You can't be known. You're way up on that high horse. Nobody can reach you up there. But to know that it's worse than you thought but better than you hoped is to be somebody who has the freedom to be known and not to have it all figured out. And finally this, it's the freedom when you're dealing with all these better than people and their causes, it's the freedom to be right without being self-righteous. You can agree to disagree. Now imagine this way, when you have a difference of opinion with somebody, 
And, and they say something like this. But, you know, I see it this way and you see it that way and you get your hackles up, right? Why? Because you lack the confidence. Because you're not standing under authority. You don't really believe what you believe. Say you believe, you're not really a believer. Now imagine this. Somebody says, you know what? I don't really believe in gravity. I think I can float. If I were to go up on the youth building and take a jump off, I think I would just float down. Now, what would you think? Now, first, you'd think they're crazy. But imagine that you apply that kind of confidence, that, that you believe in gravity and they don't. That's the kind of confidence, that's the kind of freedom that you and I ought to have with every cause and every issue. When you understand that the basis of what you think and the basis of what you believe is on the foundation, is under the authority of Scripture, then you can be just simply at peace and calm. You can be right without being self-righteous. The ability to empathize, the ability to be known, the ability to, be disagree, to disagree without being disagreeable. Isn't that beautiful? And it all comes down to this. It's worse than you thought, but it's better than you could hope. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you so much for your powerful story, this simple story, a child's story, a contrasting picture. How amazing it is that you're teaching thousands of years ago, telling a simple story could get so far in the door of what we're dealing with from day to day and what we're dealing with across this country. God, the differences are brutal and powerful. Lord, we would not just be people in a club that's better than the frozen chosen. We would be people who have a grand sense of living under authority. People who truly believe that we can't imagine how deep our need goes. But people who have a powerful sense of confidence and freedom. That you're present and, and you're forgiving. And so the hope, Lord, we would, we would pray it upon each one here that in the moment to moment with the relationships we have, we wouldn't bring a toxic sense of pride, but truly a freeing sense of confidence. Under your authority, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.